scriptures here. Uh, let's go back to Acts chapter 2024 20, in the NLT. Acts 2024 20, in the LLT. Acts 2024, 20, LLT. Thank you. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for, the fin for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. What's that work? What's the work that's assigned to me? The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And I belabor the point to define for you and I a working definition of, that, of what that grace means. Give that to me in Acts 20, 24 in the message translation. Just so you can see the biblical definition of that grace of God. Thank you. But that matters little. What matters most to me is to finish what God started, the job the master gave me of letting everyone I meet know all about this incredibly extravagant generosity of God Amen. found in Christ Jesus. Amen. So if you were to define grace, grace is defined as the incredible extravagant generosity of God found not in Muhammad, not in Buddha, not in Confucius, but found in Christ Jesus. Amen? Now, give me 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, and then we're gonna, I'm going to break this down a little bit, and then we're going to start conversing. In the Amplified. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, in the Amplified. Now, the reason we went through all this week in teaching this subject matter is because as a pastor, as a father, as a teacher, as a shepherd, my heart's desire is that we will not just have head knowledge, but that we will have the true knowledge of God in our heart, which is able to transform our lives. That's the point. I don't want the gospel to just be something we do in church but doesn't work at home. I don't want it to just be something we do in church, but doesn't work at work. I don't want it to be just be something we do, it doesn't work in your business. The gospel of Jesus works everywhere if you put it to action. That's a big caveat. Now, look at this scripture. Study and be eager to do your utmost to present yourself to God. Approve tested by trial, a workman who has no cause to be ashamed, correctly analyzing and accurately dividing, rightly handling, and skillfully teaching the word of truth. Now, why, did I, why am I taking the time to show this scripture and to really spend some time on this? I'm doing this because I want you and I to be good wordsmiths. You know what a wordsmith is? A person that knows how to handle the word of God. What Smith? You just don't read and leave reading without understanding. Look at what the Bible says again. Study and be eager to do your utmost to present yourself approved to God. How? Like a workman who has no cause to be ashamed. There are many workmen that you cannot try their work. They'll be ashamed. Once Upon a time, I saw a 
furniture maker. Okay, I, I'll tell you where, in Ibadan, in Nigeria. Uh, yeah, this guy made some furniture for Sam and your friend. Uh, Mr. Monsuru, that's his name. I, I'll never forget him. And I saw the furniture. I said, wow, this is very good. We're starting the school, Mr. Monsuru. Can you make us desks and chairs for our school? Oh, no problem. Based on what I saw that I had done for my friend, for Sam, you guys know Sam, Sam Badaki. I went to rest. Well, he delivered the desk and the chairs. A few weeks later, there was no resemblance. None of them looked like a chair or a desk. When we sit on the chair, it will make it be, the chair will be dancing, and the table will be dancing. So, Mr. Mosul, what happened? Ah, I said, well, the problem is uh, tools. The tools were not available. There was no light. It started giving me excuses. That's a workman that was ashamed. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? So the Bible says for me and you to be students of the word of God. So that when trials come, we will not need to be ashamed. Amen. We are proven, we are tested, we know what we are saying, and we have no need to be ashamed. But how does that happen? How do you become a workman that needs not to be ashamed? Because you'll be tried and you'll be tested. You become a workman that needs not be ashamed by correctly analyzing, accurately dividing, rightly handling, and skillfully teaching or knowing the word of God. That's a mouthful. If we are to correctly analyze, the implication is we can also incorrectly analyze. If we are to accurately divide, the implication is we can also inaccurately divide. If we are to rightly handle, that means we may, be able, we may also handle incorrectly. So the implication is huge, and that's the problem with the body of Christ. That's why we have so many diverse revelations. That's why we have so many divisions. That's why we have so many people running around with so many things that they're saying that is not true to the word of God. Amen? Amen. My job, my responsibility is to speak, give you truth. To feed you with correct knowledge and trust God that the spirit of God will take that seed and make it manifest to something fruitful and victorious in all of your lives. Amen. Now, we're going to start conversing in a short moment. But just for starters, for those of you that were not here during the week, when many of us look at the Bible, we see two divisions, the Old and the New Testament. And the Old Testament, from what we have, starts from Genesis and it ends in Malachi. Is that correct? Is that the way your Bible is put up? Yeah. And then the New Testament begins from Matthew and ends in Revelation. Is that correct? There is nothing that can be further from the truth. That is not correct. Now, I'm not saying that's not what's in your Bible, but I'm telling you that that's not the correct demarcation. <laughs> you guys are looking at me. You say, heresy! Don't... Keep your stones, don't stone me yet. What is a new covenant? A new, new testament. A new testament is a new will, it's a new covenant, something that's new. The new covenant 
Give me Hebrews chapter 9. The new covenant could never be enacted while Jesus was alive. He told us in Luke 22 verse 20 that the new covenant is cut in his blood. Uh, what's the verse? Let me find the verse. Hebrews chapter 9. Verse 16. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of a testator. So how can there be a new testament when Jesus has not died? I'm showing you the scripture. I didn't make it up. Verse 17. For a testament is in force after men are dead. Since it has no power at all while the testator lives. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were all Old Testament. I see your heads are popping already. But I'm giving you scriptures. I'm not making it up. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were historical accounts of the life that Jesus lived. But Jesus himself, however, lived under the law. Okay, you don't believe me? Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. See, I'm telling you these things because you need to study with, with knowledge. That's why the Bible is not given to be read and understood by natural men. The natural man cannot understand that things of the Spirit of God. This is a supernatural book. You cannot read this like you read in your chemistry or biology or business management. You do that at your own peril. You better read this with the Holy Ghost. Galatians 4.4. 4. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. When was he born? Under the law. Need, need I say any more? Jesus was born under the law and ministered under the law. So you must understand what he's saying, that he's saying it to those that were under the law. And therefore, pass everything Jesus through the cross to know the current relevant application for today. That's why you cannot have church or have the spirit of God like this Sunday, Sunday medicine. You need more than that. You need more than that. Amen? Okay. Shall I say any more? One more thing. You can set up the stuff for, for, for the conversation. One more thing. Not only is the demarcation incorrect, New Testament in our Bibles begin from the, the resurrection. That's where it starts. The amazing thing that I found out is the very first book of the New Testament written is Galatians. And then James. And on and on and on. I have the list here. Now, this is the best scholarship evidence that we have. That's not to say it's written in gold, but I'm just telling you. Galatians was written in AD 49. Matthew was not written until AD 60, 11 years later. <laughs> Hello, somebody. Are you guys here? Yes. You go and eat rice and chicken in a moment. Just right now, just focus. Okay, so we're going to converse. We're going to converse. 
Okay, let's, let's talk. So I'm going to get on the platform, let uh, Pastor Shina, Pastor Tussin just join me, and let's just take your questions or comments. Good to go. Oh, praise God. Who's going to bury the cat? If there are no questions, we're going to have one song, receive your offerings, I'm going to go home. The Falcons is playing this afternoon. I'm, I'm looking at my clock. Pardon me? Five online questions. Five online questions, okay. Um, the law was given to Jews and not to us Gentiles. Which law are we referring to here when we say that the righteous demands of the law still hold? Okay. The question is, the law was given to the Jews. Which law are we referring to that the right, when, when, we, when I made a reference during my teaching during the week, that the righteous demand of the law is still in effect. Okay, let, let me define that first of all. When I say that the righteous demand of the law is still in effect, what I'm referring to is the intent of God when he gave the law still stands. What is, what is that intent? Holiness, perfection, love, etc., etc. When God gave the new covenant, he did not abrogate his desire to see holiness, to see perfection, to see love flowing. Are, are you hearing what I'm saying? So all of those things hold. Now, the, the, so, so, so the law itself is no longer in effect for a righteous person. Romans uh, 10, 4. Can you, can you put that on the screen for me? Romans 10, 4. It says that Christ is the end of the law to the right... Uh, to, to, for righteousness. So Christ is the end of the law. So you see, as far as a believer is concerned, you are no longer under the law, under the dictates of you must do this, you must do that, you must do that, you must do that. No. But the principle behind when God says you must do this or you don't do that still holds. The difference, however, is you and I now do not try to satisfy those do's and don'ts. All of those things are satisfied and fulfilled in Christ Jesus who obeyed God and lived a perfect life and now lives in us. Do you understand that? Is anybody here? Wow. So the righteous demand of the law holds is still in effect. In fact, not only that, for the unrighteous, the wages of sin is still death. That doesn't change. That's the only way people can still get born again. They must understand that all men are guilty before God and that the wages of sin is death. But once they cross over and become born again, then they begin to live under the uh, dispensation of Christ, dispensation of grace, whereby the provision for the fulfillment of the law is being made in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Unfortunately, uh, uh, the person that asked the question, they're now here to make sure that they're getting it. So, uh, Tanita, you have something? Yeah, come on, come on. Revelation don't have her goggles on, so I can't see her. Okay. Um, so one of the biggest things that stood out to me in the teaching was that um, 
it's not contingent upon um, me doing X, Y, Z. I got to pray for two hours. I got to do this. Um, grace is a gift because it was freely given. Okay. Um, when you mentioned something, and um, I don't know if I was a bit maybe too literal, but um, <laughs> you said, uh, well, the question I wrote down was, what do you mean by losing the righteousness of God if it was freely given? mentioned something um, that once we receive, we are recipients of the grace, of the grace, we are recipients of his righteousness, but then it was something along the lines of um, losing that righteousness. I know we forget a lot of Hebrews. Yeah. But, um, that's just one of the questions that I had about losing the righteousness of God. Hmm. I cannot recollect that, uh, Dr. Tonita. Maybe I need some ginkoba for remembrance. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. Um, does anybody want to jump on that? Do you, does, yeah, I'm not quite sure. I wish I could recollect exactly what I said. That will help me in, under, in being able to address that question. Uh, but I think what I was addressing was the fact that uh, Joseph was a loved person. And he knew that he was loved because of the coat of many colors that was given him by his father. And that as long as he saw that coat, it triggered a remembrance in him of his, of his, uh, of, of his love, of, the, of his father's love. And so for us believers, what I, what I may have said was the fact that the enemy wants you to ignore your righteousness. The enemy will attack you and say to you, God does not love you any longer uh, because you did this or you did that or because you didn't do this or because you didn't do that. And therefore, if the enemy can get you to take your eyes off your righteousness, which is the righteousness of Christ, uh, of God in Christ Jesus that you, that you have, the enemy wants you to just set it aside and just ignore that. And if he can get you to do that, then he's got you on a very bad, uh, slippery, slippery slope. Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for his power of God and the salvation to the Jews first and then to the Greek. And he says, for in it is the righteousness of God revealed. So for the believer, the gift of righteousness is a very huge biggie. If you ever take your eyes off of it, or the enemy tells you you've lost it and you believe it, then you're finished. It's a slippery slope. Amen? You guys can jump in any time. Yes. Question two. Would it be right to say, since Jesus has pleased or pleased God, then I should just spend my time trusting God and Jesus instead of finding ways to please men? Well, I think it's going to be both. Um, we came into Christ first by believing and trusting him. And we're going to continue in that. We cannot be satisfied. It's a lifestyle, you know, that we have embraced till the end. And as far as trying to focus on uh, whether I should focus on trusting God or trusting Christ as opposed to trying to please <coughs> um, it depends on what that individual is uh, saying. Um, like we rightly said, when we got born again, Christ brought us into the kingdom of God. He fulfilled um, you know, the, 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 
brother of the Lord. And then the intent was for us to do what he was doing here on earth before he left. So as a result of that, I focus to be on what exactly has he called me into. Rather than, you know, anything else, my focus is what has he called me into? You know, when did he bring me into, into salvation? And my focus is on that, knowing fully well that, you know, he who has begun to do what he's able to That's do right. practice, you know, he did not bring me in to leave me or abandon me. That's right. No, he brought me in with a finished, with, with, with a finished mindset. It's a completed task. And so I need to continue to trust, which is where I began, continue to believe in him, continue to focus on what he has called me into. And I think that's one of the key, understanding that God has called us unto himself for a purpose. Correct. And we focus on that purpose. You know, most of those things that are, you know, what we think are our inefficiency or inability or whatever it is, is packaged within the grace that brought us unto him in the first place. And I hope that helps. Thank you. Amen. Okay. Miss Megan, I can barely hear you there. <laughs> I know you talk louder than that. I've heard. <laughs> okay. All right, so when we were teaching during the week, I used the example of the life of Joseph as a profile of a person that lived the life of grace as a lifestyle. And I explained that the life of grace is not an exemption from adversity. Adversity, trials, tribulations, challenges definitely do come because the Bible says all those who shall live godly in Christ Jesus, shall suffer tribulation. But yeah. well, I now said, the understanding of God's grace and the love of God in the life of the believer helps us to go through those moments unscathed. Mm -hmm. However, I also made a statement that adversity can be used. Number one, helps you to grow spiritually or, if you don't handle it properly, can cause a discouragement and a setback in your life. Yeah. A good example of that would be Naomi, who came back after having lived in the land of, land of Moab for 10 years. And her testimony was, I left full and I came back empty. Why? Because the adversity had made her bitter, not better. Yeah. So what I'm saying to us is, in uh, working in grace, and allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives, no matter what we go through, we can always come out on the better end of it, not the bitter end. Amen. But the, 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 the result is up to me and you, how you respond in those moments. Do, is that clear? Thank you. Sir. My name is D. I'm new to the assembly here, but I'm not new to the body of Christ. Amen. I have a question. Um, many people can really testify to being recipients of grace. 
we, we are very familiar with it. We are very comfortable receiving it. Would you say that we pass on that same grace, the same way we have received it, <laughs> to other people? And if not, what is it that makes it difficult for us to extend the same generosity of grace that we have received to others? Wow. Please bring my bag. Don't, don't go, don't go. No, 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 sir. Okay, come. Quickly, quickly. Oh, don't run now. You're still a young man. You can run. Please, sir. Yeah. It, it is grace at work, sir. It is grace at work. Grace is at work. So, hold on. Come, come, come. Your job is not finished. Now go and put on the chair. <laughs> and we pass it on to the world. Amen. Amen. No, your question is a very good one. And we addressed it, I think, on Tuesday or Wednesday night during the teaching. On Tuesday, okay. Because, again, remember, the goal for this whole teaching is to help establish us in grace as a lifestyle, not just as a head knowledge or a doctrine. Lifestyle as in from cradle to the grave. Everything in between. Walking, living, breathing the grace of God. So we now use Joseph as a poster child for the life of grace. And one of the incredible things about Joseph was the fact that he was offended by his brothers, offended by Potiphar, offended by Potiphar's wife, and yet... When he came into his own and into a place of authority, in a place of affluence, in a place where he could make or break, he extended grace freely. We dealt with that. Now, to your question, why is it having received grace, we're not giving grace? This was the way I answered it. To many of us, grace had been declared but not received. I don't think it, you guys didn't hear me. You've heard grace pronounced. You've heard it preached. You've heard it proclaimed. But it never left your head to your heart. When it gets into your heart, it's no longer just a doctrine. It's no longer just uh, something you know in your head. It's a life. It just flows out of you. What you have received automatically flows in. That's what Jesus said. Freely you receive, freely. So the issue is, we don't give grace because we don't have it yet. We have heard it. I didn't say we didn't hear it. We've heard it. But what we've heard versus what is in us are two different things. A classic example of that, Jesus told a story in Matthew chapter 18 of the man who owed $10 million of today's money. He was asking for time to pay the money. And the man whom he owed said, so you asking for time? I'll go beyond what you're asking for. Because God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above that which you're able to think or ask according to the power of God at work in us. So the man was asking for time to pay. The man said, I'll do beyond just time. I'll cancel your debt. $10 million canceled. This same guy who had just been a recipient of grace 
had a fellow who owed him $20. And the Bible said he grabbed the guy by the throat. He just didn't ask for the money back. He grabbed him by the throat. And the guy played there with him and said, listen, give me time and I will pay. He did, not, he did not do it. So the issue there is that guy, grace was proclaimed to him, but never received by him. And consequently, he couldn't give it. You see, because my brother, you cannot give what you don't have. So the proof that you and I have received grace is when we give it. Don't, listen, all this grace talk, ignore it. Ignore it. Don't even pay any attention to the grace talk. The only grace you want to see is the one that's manifest. Because the Bible says concerning Jesus, we saw his grace, grace for grace. It was manifest. It's not talk. No, 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 it's not talk. And that's why we spent the whole week to help us to understand that this is not just a matter of talk, a matter of doctrine, a matter of, no, it's a lifestyle. And if it's not manifesting in your life, if you're having difficulty in forgiving or giving it, that's the time to pray. That's the prayer the church is not praying. That's the time to pray, God, I thank you for your grace in my life. And then you confess to him, but I'm having difficulty in loving my wife, loving my husband, loving my children, loving my friend. They offend me. I blow a fuse. Something's wrong with God help me. That's the time for that prayer. But until we are honest with ourselves to evaluate and say, you know what, I have an issue here. There's no remedy. You want under two dollars? Just as a quick bit by bit. Um, one can really live a victorious life here on earth. Really spiritual, godly life. But will you agree with me that no matter how <laughs> victorious you are living this holy spiritual life, nobody can ever stand outside of grace and be righteous in the sight of God. Do you agree? Oh, yes. Because by grace we are saved through faith. Amen. Praise God. That's right. So practically speaking, hmm. when that love turned, as you said, from empty, mm-hmm. you said you are capable of doing anything. Yes. So how do we practically speaking, do we fill our love tank up? How do we do that? Oh, very good question. Very, very good question. Okay, let me give you a context, and I'm going to let any, either of them jump into it. So on Tuesday night, I was addressing the issue that Joseph refused to sin with Potiphar's wife. And when you read the context in Genesis chapter 39, uh, where that incident happened, it was obvious that what kept Joseph back was the love that he had received. So in Genesis 39, in verse 7, it says, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, 
Now pay attention. Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house. And he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I. Nor has he kept back anything from me but you. Because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So when you read the context of Joseph's response to the seduction of Potiphar's wife, he began with his master. What his master had done for him. So what Joseph was doing really was recounting a catalog of the benefits he had received from this master. How good this master had been to him. And so he says, now, as a result of this master's goodness and benevolence to me, how can I violate and betray such a love, such a kindness by violating his wife? Because in doing so, it would be an act of wickedness. Now, once wickedness enters, then you sin against God. So there are two issues. Being wicked and sinning against God. We can be wicked to one another. That wickedness now escalates to sin against God. So the consideration for Joseph was, man, this guy has blessed me too much. I can't touch it. I'm sorry. So now, to answer uh, Marie's question, I said, love is the antidote to sin. We sin because we have not truly known the love that God has for us. When you consider how much God loves you, but not just you, how much he loves Shina, how much he loves Tosin, that same love of God, when I consider that, I'll think twice before I violate this man, knowing that God that loves me also loves him. That love becomes a restraint. And I say, no, no, I can't do this. I can't sleep with my brother's wife. I cannot offend my sister, my brother. I cannot defraud them. Why? Because of God's love. The magnitude of the love I've received. How can I now do this and violate that love? That's the issue. And then Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, I think it was, in the NLT, no, in the NSB, in Dr. Onofre's translation, he said, the love of God controls me. Can you give me that, can you give me that translation, please? 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, I think it is. Two fourteen. Nope, that's not it. Ah, where's that scripture? Oh, Corinthians chapter 5. 5.10. Is it 5.10? Yeah. Or 5.14? 5, 5.14. 5, Thank you. What did she say? 5.14. Thank you. 5.14. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is, for those of you that don't know, this is Dr. Nofer's uh, transition. <laughs> for the love of God, what does he do? Controls us. If we stand at the control of the love of God, forget sin. Hmm. Now to answer your question, when my love tank is low or empty, what do I do? Mm-hmm. What do you think the answer is? Mm-hmm. 
you go back to the source. You go back to the source. That's why 1 John 4, 19, you should put it and just tie it. Make a headgear and just tie it on your head. 1 John 4, 19. It says, we love God because he first loved me. Over and over and over and over, you keep on saying, Father, I thank you for your love. Because you first loved me. I embrace your love. I receive it. I thank you for it. And if, if, you, are, if you are weak, say, Father, I thank you for a fresh revelation of your love to me today. Yes. Yes. Over and over and over. That's why prayer is not what we thought it is. No. This is a communion, a communion that's taking place between you and God all day long. All day long, Father, I just so thank you. I thank I know your love is real. I know you love me. Ah, but Papa, you know what? This, right this moment, I don't feel it. Tell him. Tell him he's your father. Tell him you don't feel it. Tell him you, 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 you want to see a manifestation? Now. Amen. You'll be amazed. These things work. So to your question, ma'am, when you feel low, and you, how are you going to know when you're low? Your response to people around you. Easily. The irritation. Yep. Easily. Listen, all of us need what I call an irritation mirror. A mirror to measure irritation. The reason I'm so convinced about what I'm telling you guys, what I've been telling you guys, if you asked me a year ago, true confession, full disclosure, if you asked me a year ago, my irritation meter was at 9.99999 out of 10. I was irritation waiting to happen. If my wife says yes, I'm irritated. If she says no, I'm irritated. If the kids, that's, that's the way it was. Because everything was by the law. If you don't do this, you don't get that. If you don't do that, you don't get this. But as this message began to take a hold in my heart, I began to respond to the spirit of God. With that equation, I can tell you right now, my irritation meter has gone from 9.999 to maybe 2. Yeah. Amen. It works. It absolutely works. But the working of it is not automatic. You have to cooperate. You have to yield. But as you yield and you're seeing the manifestation, you become encouraged. Oh, wow, this thing, hey, it's working. I'm chasing my wife all over the house now these days. It's true. Especially since faith is gone. I'm glad, faith, thank you for going. <laughs> thank you for moving out. I wish you had done a year ago. <laughs> real and, and my passion is to have you guys have what is working in me Amen. and beyond. Amen. That's the truth. Amen. Did I answer your question? Thank you. I'm going to let, let my professors answer that. <laughs> <laughs> because I've answered that question so many times. But I can, I kind of, <laughs> professors, 
Yes. <laughs> if someone is saved according to the scripture. Not according to the preacher. Not yes. according to the preacher, <laughs> according to the individual, yeah. opinion, yeah. according to the scripture. Yeah. This scripture is clear about that. Jesus in John chapter 17, when he was praying, said, They that you have given unto me, I lose none of them. It is that simple. So the question is, is that fellow saved? According to the scripture, because Jesus cannot be lying. Yeah. He said, if, if, if God has given someone to me, those that are, that God has given unto me, and that's definitely those that are saved, those who God has given unto me, those who have believed and received him, according to the scripture, <laughs> no one can take them away from me. And I think that's what is the answer to that question. Let me just add to that as well. Um, the other side of it as well is many times as believers, we also need to understand, just as Pastor has said earlier, that grace received and grace given, this is what we're talking about here. So if, for example, this person has been saved for real and they are still falling one day here, one day there, one day, they have not completely received in fullness in their life what God has given to them. And that is a struggle that most of us would have until we come to that place where we have to, in totality received all that God has given us. So there's a possibility the person saved and while they're, being, while they're saved, they just have not come into the fullness of what God has given them. And so my, uh, my final uh, commentary of that, on that is, no one, just like my brother that got the $2 question, is, no one, who could have received the grace of God as the Bible defines it can continue to live in sin. Period. End of story. I don't know if you guys heard me. You cannot find anyone in the Bible who had an encounter with Jesus who remained the way they were. So if a person is saved or claims to be saved and they are living in sin as a lifestyle, they are not born again. End of story. It doesn't matter which uh, seminary they went to or which mosque they're going to. It, it, it doesn't count. Yeah, ma'am. Yes. Now, you also said, which you said this morning, that we got his righteousness, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When the devil attacks us, he attacks that coat. This is my question. If you look at Luke 9, mm -hmm. you said something about laying your hand on the plow. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
Correct. Um, and I wanted to know <laughs> Okay, very good. Thank you very much for that question. The, the reference you're making to is Luke 9, I believe, verse 62, where it says, no man having laid his hand to the plow, looking back his feet for the kingdom. But again, don't forget, any time you read the scriptures, you must understand the context. If you miss the context, all you have is a con. <laughs> so when he gave that exhortation, he was speaking under the law to those who were in the law. And the bottom line of what he was saying to them is, listen, if you guys embrace the law and you accept the law, and then you go back on the law, you are not fit. Which is a confirmation of everything the scripture has said. James 2.10 tells us, if you obey the whole law but miss one, you are still guilty of all. So really, Jesus was, okay, let, let, let me tell you what Jesus did. Maybe this will help us. He was born under the law. And Jesus was the greatest law preacher that ever lived. Because he was speaking to those under the law. And the essence of that was because those Pharisees, they prided themselves as being men and women under the law. Ah, look at even Paul said it in Philippians. He said of the, of, of the law, I, I, I'm blameless. Yeah, they prided themselves, ah, we keep this law, we keep this law. So Jesus said, hey, you want to keep the law? Okay, let me tell you the full intent. So he, he, he took the law to uh, 2.0. He just didn't stay with the law that they had. He, he escalated it for them. Yeah. For instance, the law says that shall not commit adultery. Yeah. The Pharisees prided themselves like that. Ah, we never commit adultery. Ah, come on, what are you talking? But they can see a woman standing and look under the woman's dress. <laughs> so Jesus said, the law said that shall not commit adultery. But I'm going to tell you, if you look at the woman wrongly, you've already done it. That is law 2.0. And the reason he did that he escalated it for them so that they can come to the realization that the law you are priding yourself in, if I was to bring the law to you, you can never fulfill it. Because if you don't commit adultery, but you're looking at the woman with lust in your eyes, he says, you've already done it. Can you meet that? So yes, Jesus preached under the law, but the question you ask about the being not fit for the kingdom was expressly to challenge those people to come from where they were so they can receive him and accept him because he's the only one that can help us to live a life of victory and uh, fulfillment. Dr. Dickey, right. our Pope. Yes. Sure. 
Very good question. Very, very good question. This is the way I answer that. That same question was actually asked last Sunday by Sister Kenny. And the truth of the matter is, if, and I mentioned that during the week when we were teaching Monday through Friday, the gospel of the grace of God is the unveiling of Jesus. I mentioned that all, all through the teaching on Monday through Friday. The problem is, until you uh, make that emphasis and call it the gospel of grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, there are so many things that, that are just missing on the radar. For instance, if you don't preach it like it is being preached now, there is a lot of mixture that is being proclaimed. The clear distinction between the errors and the dispensations is lost. Because Jesus ministered in both. He was in the law and he was in grace. I just, I just gave the example. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all under the law. All of them. Except and until the resurrection. But the only thing that made that demarcation is the gospel of grace. And there's a reason for which Paul became the proponent of that message which Jesus said clearly during his life and ministry in John 16 verse 12. He said, I have many more things to say to you, but you are not able to bear them. Why will he go and pick a man who was steeped in the law like Paul and give him this revelation that he didn't give anybody else? And Paul said to us that this mystery had been hidden 
from the time past until now. So there is a, there, there must be a proclamation of the message of the gospel of grace, but with the serious emphasis, and if anybody's been hearing me, everything we say about grace, that it is found in Jesus, it's about Jesus, and it is Jesus' finished works. Have you guys helped me say that? Over and over and over and over, because the grace that we are enjoying is as a result of the finished works of Christ. That's what makes grace, grace. Because the essence of grace is unearned, undeserved, unmerited. How, how do we get that? That's why I give the definition I gave from message translation. is the incredible, extravagant, generosity of God found in Christ Jesus. You heard me say that this morning as well. Always found in Christ Jesus. So the issue is many of us, including me, We've been preaching Jesus for years. But for some reason, because we did not see the grace aspect of it, we, we just put Jesus on the surface, never really understanding his intent for you and I to rest in his finished work. That is the essence. That is what makes all the difference. And the reason I've been laboring on this, and I said this at the beginning this morning, I said it all through the week, Many of us, in fact, I said it, I think, last uh, Friday night. There is no believer or preacher that you're going to ask, do you believe in the grace of God? They said they believe. Everybody believes the grace of God. Even the Muslim believes the grace of God. Everybody. I did. I, I mean, I've been preaching for what, over 25, 26 years. I, I believed in the grace of God. But I did not begin to make the clear distinction of grace as in a lifestyle Versus grace as in my hearing. Until we began to make that emphasis. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. Listen, I told you guys, on the irritation meter, I was 9.9 .9 out of 10. And that's it with knowing the gospel and preaching Jesus the way we preach Jesus. But until that clear distinction came, to understand what I did in my effort, by my own self, out of my own righteousness, that is it's absolute misery compared to the provision that God has made. That clear distinction, I don't know anybody that, did not preach, that does not preach the gospel of grace that preaches like that. You may know somebody, but I don't. I don't. I really don't. And if you guys know anybody that does that, bring that to my attention. I'm, I'm very serious. It takes the distinction, the clear, clear and call of making a decision to understand that. That's what it's done for me. Am I the only one? That's what it's done for me. Now, to the point that he's making, you cannot preach the gospel of grace apart from Jesus. And we've not done that. It is all found, packed up, wrapped in, totally, completely in and through Christ. And when you really understand the message, it's a real, for me, what it did for me was, it made Jesus much bigger than the little Jesus I've been preaching. Because all of a sudden, I realized that this Jesus is taking me out of the Old Testament mentality, brought me to a new place. And I, only because of his sacrifice and his atoning, atoning perfection that we now can stand in this place where we stand. It's, it's unbelievable for me. It's, up, it's absolutely mind-blowing. It's a big deal. Amen. 
But the issue is we must never lose track of who Jesus is. And there's a reason for which Paul called it the gospel of grace. I didn't make that up. It's in the Bible. Yeah. And I have, we have to deal with that. Yeah. I think I, think, I, think I, I mentioned to you guys a few, a few days, a few months ago that I don't like the, the, the I think me and uh, uh, Bralani, we talked about that. that we, I don't like just the announcement of gospel, uh, grace message. You remember that? Yeah. I said that. I said, I, I don't like that. Because to your point, when you say grace message, it's almost like there's, there's a different message. No, that's not. And that's why I say, I say gospel of grace. Gospel of grace. But that is a totally acceptable terminology that takes into full consideration the person, the work, and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel of grace is all about his finished work. That's it. And Hebrews, Hebrews is so full of it. Yeah. Just, just um, as uh, to further that point, um, I think we have to understand that even why Jesus was here on earth, there are certain times he took time to seek specific, uh, uh, to seek specific subjects. And I think, uh, in my opinion, and Taking time to speak about grace, or taking time to speak about the Holy Spirit, or taking time to speak about uh, baptism, or taking time to speak about any specific topic in the scripture, um, I think the only thing we have to be real of it is to bring all of us into the full stature yes. of Christ. Absolutely. And we continue to have several things, you know, with several titles that we give you. I don't think that is wrong. Amen. Amen. Pastor Charles, one of the things that helped me um, was in Hebrews chapter 13. That was actually what made a world of difference for me when we started hearing this message. In Hebrews chapter 13, I'm going to read from verse 8. In fact, let me start from verse 7. It says, remember those who rule over you and who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Verse 9. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that a heart be established by grace. When I got hold of that, huh. I realized all what Paul was saying, was saying to you, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What I want you to then know is Jesus Christ is grace. Yes. And I want your heart yeah. to be established by this. Yeah. And so that was a scripture that made all the difference for me. And when I hear anyone preach, especially in the house, like Pastor and Pastor Shina had said, <clears throat> I've not really heard anything outside of Jesus. I know in this house we always say it's Jesus plus nothing. And yeah. that's what the gospel of grace all for right. us is all, all about. Right. All right. Absolutely. I like that coinage. Jesus plus nothing. That's exactly what it is. So... Jesus is, in fact, the poster child for grace. Jesus and grace is synonymous. That's who he is. He's grace. And, and <clears throat> you notice through all of our lives, everything we do. In fact, that, that, I'm, I'm glad you brought that scripture up just now, Hebrews 13, uh, 9. I never paid attention to that. Uh, during, the week, during, during the week when we did the teaching, I showed you how grace builds you up. Yeah. Acts 20, verse 32. Yeah. I showed you how grace encourages to be strong. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, the scripture you just quoted. And I showed you how grace uh, in Acts 20, 20, 24, 
uh, what is it there? Uh, build, strong, and grow. Peter tells us grace makes us grow. So, so when you look at all the things we're trying to be as believers, to be established, to grow, to be built up, and to be strong, the Bible is very clear that it takes the grace of God to, 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 uh, to accomplish those things. So, yeah, I think we should pay attention to it. But we should not do that at the expense of Jesus because Jesus and grace is the same. He is the source of grace. Yes, your question. Wait, 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 wait. Which grace what? Preacher. Ah. Yeah, I, I want to be careful not to recommend any man or woman. Because when, when you start doing that, we start getting back under the law. And I don't want to put anybody under the law. Now, what I've given you is a tool. The devotional that I recommended is a very simple and yet powerful one. Uh, it's called Day by Day by Grace. Um, ah. Okay, can, can, we, can, we, can we go back to, shall they give me Second Chronicles 7.14? Is that the one? Yeah. And I just want to, I just want to use this scripture to help us understand why it is important to understand the, the distinctions we are trying to make. I preached with this scripture for years. I love it because it helps me to, I can hoop this one very easily. If my people, huh, which are called by my name, huh, shall humble themselves huh, and pray huh, and seek my face, huh, Very nice hoping scripture. But if you don't put on the lens, that grace lens, when you read the scripture, yeah. you'll be misled in application. Yeah. Yeah. The scripture is not wrong. There's no scripture that is wrong. The Bible says all the law is holy, is good, and just. You just have to know when it expired. Yeah. If my people, the word if is conditional. My people shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. Is that correct today? No, no. absolutely not. You will not know that if you don't understand the gospel of grace. Because today, God is not telling me to turn from my wickedness before he hears me. If he was, nobody here can be saved. We all came to him as a sinner. You call on him, he saved you. Why? Because the grace of God is available now. Jesus is available to do that. But if you put on the old covenant lens and you read this, you have to have repented, stop homonging, stop lying, stop stealing, and then you say, God, I've stopped all these things now. Please help me. He helps you. But that's not applicable today. 
If you are his people today, you don't have to turn from your wicked ways before he hears you. He says, you turn from your wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and hear their life. So the onus is on you before God does, does anything. That's what he says. That was the, that's the way it was under the law. Today, it's not so. A sinner can call up to God now and God in his greatness, in his vast mercy, in his richness of his mercy and loving kindness, hears you and helps you. If this was true, none of us could be saved. But you will never understand this if you don't understand what we're talking about. You'll be reading scriptures. It's accurate scripture. It's just not relevant today in this sense. The day it was given, it was accurate, it was correct, it's right on. It'd be like trying to ride a uh, Riley bicycle to go to London from here. You get on a bicycle, you say, I'm going to London, I want to ride a Riley bicycle. In 1920, Riley bicycle was in, in vogue. You can ride, you can ride bicycle all, all you want. Today, you, we use airplanes. You don't say now, because I like my bicycle, I'm just going to keep driving my bicycle. You'll be a madman, a mad woman. Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? Yeah. We need to know how to write. That's why I read the scripture. 2 Timothy 2.15. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Accurately. Another one. Don't go. Don't go. I'm going to lead this to answer your question. Another very common one is the one that Jesus said, if you don't forgive your brother, God will not forgive you. Have you heard that scripture before? It's in Matthew chapter 6. I believe verse 4. So how did God forgive me and you? How many of people that are offended have you, have you forgiven before you, before you were born again and your, your sin was forgiven? When Jesus spoke those words, under the law, that was the condition. That... What scripture are you putting up there? Find the right scripture. Shade, you're a lawyer. You should find it. Is it Matthew 5? five yeah. Matthew 5. five yeah. Where Jesus says, if you don't forgive, if you forgive, you'll be forgiven. If you're not forgiven, you'll not be forgiven. Lawyer, give me verse 4 or verse 14. Hey, Varista, give me verse 14. Ah, <laughs> uh -uh. where's the scripture? It's Matthew chapter 5. Is it chapter 6? 6 what? 6 14. Barista, 6 14. Ah, take heed. No, no, 6 14. Hey, fake news. <laughs> There we go, finally. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. There was another one where he made it clearer than that. I think it's in Mark. Verse 15, verse 15. Okay, thank you. Verse 15. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. If this is true today, everybody's here is going to hell. Just get your... Burning pass for hair right now, if this is true today. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? 
Ephesians 4.32 and Colossians 3.13. Give that to me. This is the reason we emphasize this message. is the same Jesus, but the times have changed. Ephesians 4.32, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. How did God in Christ forgive you? Unconditionally. In, yeah, where were you? You are a sinner. He was hanging on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Did they ask, for, 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 did they ask him for forgiveness? No. Colossians 3.13. Bearing with one another, forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. Both of them are saying to forgive. But the motivation for forgiveness is different. How are we forgiving? Give me Ephesians 1 7. Quickly. Ephesians 1 7. Ah, how are we forgiving? In Him. We have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Go deal with that. That's how we forgive it. According to the riches of his grace. That's it. So Jesus is not contradicting himself. It's just different times. Are, are you guys following what I'm saying? The highest plane is the new covenant. That is the covenant that is in existence right now. That's it. Oh, my goodness. I, we thought all of this, or we get the tape. I, I don't want to take your time. Just get the tape. Yeah, go to, go to the question. May I just quickly add, your, you had a question, your, your last question. Part of that was, who are the preachers we need to listen to? Yeah. Let me just give you something that was said on, throughout the week. Um, uh, it's kind of my co own coinage of it. Here's what I, I, I wrote down. That every solution that doesn't, every solution or message that doesn't point you to Jesus alone, but points to what you need to do to earn anything with God is a solution of the law. So whatever message you're listening to, whatever book that you're listening to, as long as it's pointing you to Jesus, it's not what you're doing to earn something, then I, I think you yourself as, a, as, an, as an individual will begin to grow in that. It's just a tool to help you. This is not under law. Please understand that. <laughs> TJ, you are laughing. It's true now. It's not under law. It's just something to get you started. Because this is what I found out. If you are not really, really, really uh, establishing this message, just reading anything, you, you, you'll be surprised how you very subtly, you, you, you just take more law into yourself. And Jesus warned us, take heed what you hear and take heed how you hear. Because what you take in is what you become. That's the point. What you take in is what you become. So you just can't listen to everything and everybody. I'm sorry. The pictures I listen to now, is, they are released to maybe a three or four. It's the truth. I mean, are you surprised that men are repenting now? Did you hear what happened last week with uh, Pastor Benny Hinn? Yes. 
That's a good thing. I thank God for him that he has the courage to come forward and say, you know what? I've been preaching this error. Bishop Okonko in Nigeria, he told his congregation, I'm sorry, if you don't tithe, it won't be tight for you. You guys missed that. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. But, and I told them, listen, the gospel of grace is the thing. W.F. Kumuyi of Deeper Life, Babu Church, he said he has to spend the rest of his life correcting the things he taught at the beginning. This is a mass revolution that's taking place. God is helping you guys to be an early adapter because I'm telling you, we're going to start seeing manifestation like we've never seen before. It's the truth. This is not about man. This is all Jesus. Amen. You have another? Are we done? Oh, sit down. Let Richard ask that question. Ah, you're going to, you're going to eat the microphone. Let, Margaret Thatcher. Her Excellency. You, you prefer that one, right? <laughs> Richard. Uh, my question is about uh, how can we live by grace? I know we talked about it during the week, and you gave us two. Uh, you gave us two ways. One. Two keys. Faith can be appropriated. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. What, 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 what I, the statement I made was, the two keys in walking in grace, number one, humility. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And the second thing is the issue of faith. I now said, though, that we have to be careful that faith cannot be used to receive anything that grace has not provided. A good example is, uh, let me give something that's outlandish, something that's way out, that can make it very, very clear. A man cannot, by faith, try to claim a woman to be his wife that is already married. You can't see a married woman and say, by faith, I'm claiming this in Jesus' name. That's, it's madness. I don't, it doesn't matter how much faith you have. That is totally, completely out of order. And by the way, that's hap- this has happened. Some, some ladies saw, uh, was a part of world changes with Pastor Dollar, and uh, went to Pastor Dollar's wife and told her that she believed that Pastor Dollar was her husband. Yeah. And by faith, she was, gonna, she was claiming Pastor Dollar. The same thing happened with Pastor Bakari in Lagos, where the lady actually was having night vigils. You guys, see, you guys are laughing, but they're they, they true stories. True stories. Having night video and had Pastor Bakari's picture all over her cubicle in her office. So that as she's looking, as she's looking, or her picture, his, her picture, the pictures were all over. So by faith, she's claiming it. She's having night vigil on it. By faith. A believer, so to speak. So the point is, whatever grace has not provided Grace cannot receive. Faith, faith, I'm sorry. Faith cannot bring it in. Does that make sense? Yes. It's clear now? Thank you. Yeah. Hmm. 
let me do my sign of my cross before <laughs> Greg. <laughs> this is great. How do we really distinguish grace and kindness? I, I, I don't know how to pose this, but yes, and kindness. Um, somebody who take a check off their back for anybody and does not is not tied to grace in any way. Does that make sense? I'm sorry, no, not really. I don't understand. Which, how if, for example, I will give everything I have okay. to the world, but yet I am not I am not connected to grace in any way. Yeah, you can be a kind person. You can be a kind. Not for, remember, God is a source of grace. So if I'm walking in grace, the assumption must be that the Spirit of God is one guiding, leading, helping me to do whatever I'm doing. But there's also the issue of kindness, where as a human being, I see another human being that's in lack or has a need, and I'm able to meet that need, and I can move to do so and be kind. So yeah, you can be kind apart from grace. Yeah. It's, it's possible. Yeah. Are you done? Oh. Pastor, in the light of how we are growing in grace, where does deliverance or deliverance ministry fit in the gospel of grace? Especially since we should be living and walking in the finished work of God. Hey! That would take me one hour. I'm, I'm serious. I'm serious. There, there's no distinction. There's no difference. But it will take me a while to establish it for you in Scripture. So let, can we just defer that to another time? Or if you, if you give me the person, I can answer that question later on uh, to them in a private setting. Thank you very much. Okay. I think that concludes this uh, session. Thank God for all of you. And uh, praise God. You have anything? <laughs>